Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California, home to Harry and Meghan and uh, Oprah Winfrey, and of course, me. Before we really get into the meat of today's show, I do want to remind you that there is a website that is associated with this podcast called wealthformula.com. And that's where you need to go if you want to pick up a bunch of free resources and sign up for our various lists, including the Accredited Investor Club, which is the place where if you are accredited, uh, you can go and potentially join our group and get some exposure to private investments. Now, that's the stuff that only comes after the onboarding process in the uh, credit investor group. So you won't ever see any of that stuff outside of Investor Club. And if you are an accredited investor, which means you make $200,000 a year, $300,000 of filing jointly, and those have to be for at least two years with the reasonable expectation of that continuing in the future, and or you have a net worth of a million dollars outside of your personal residence and you are accredited. There's also a few other uh, tests that I think now qualify to talked about them before, but I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I think maybe the series seven, something like that. I don't, I don't, I don't remember all that stuff at any rate. Uh, so check it out. Wealthformula.com. Uh, and check out the Accredited Investor Group because that's where the magic happens. Today, I want to talk about something I think is critically, critically important for you. If you are listening to a financial podcast, if you are listening to a podcast about money and the economy, and they are not speaking about Bitcoin, then they are doing something wrong. And when you talk about Bitcoin, I think sometimes the important conversation to have before that is what exactly is value? So what is valuable? What makes anything valuable? What makes gold valuable, for example? Well, value, uh, I, will, I will say right now, I believe to be a social construct. It's, you know, things have a value because we as a society agree that they're valuable. And that is the only reason that gold has the value that it does. Yes, it has unique metallic qualities and it's scarce and I know it needs to be mined, but there's no intrinsic quality that gives it the value that it has in our society. I mean, we've collectively assigned uh, that value to it, right? And to be clear, 
That's not intended to be a knock on gold or on gold bugs. That's not even a criticism of gold. I'm well aware of the value of gold uh, in, in historical terms, that it's, that it's been valuable uh, since ancient civilization, dating back to the Egyptians, uh, to the Inca. Listen, uh, an ounce of gold uh, used to be able to buy a good uh, pair of uh, sandals and a toga in the times of Christ, and now buys you a nice suit. So longevity certainly matters. I'm not discrediting that, but I'm simply stating that what I consider to be a, an obvious fact, and that is that monetary value is not intrinsic to any commodity. I will stand by that. Yet, the perception of value in society serves as an important function for accounting purposes. We got to have it. So we have to collectively decide what is valuable and you know what makes sense to you know, tack on value too. But on the other hand, why, why must we concede that value only comes from ancient stuff? Why does it have to be thousands of years old in terms of its recognition as being valuable in order to be valuable in a technological society like we have today? Does it make sense to look only to the past and at inefficient stores of value and I say inefficient uh, for gold because it's frankly it's very difficult uh, to you know take a few you know take take several ounces of gold across borders and that kind of thing. Well, I will say that in in a technological society like we have today, it doesn't make sense to only look for inefficient you know archaic stores of value, and that's one of the reasons why I believe that Bitcoin will ultimately serve a very similar role in society as a whole to gold. I really believe that. Now, Bitcoin is finite. It's deflationary. You have to mine it. It's a different kind of mining from gold, but you have to mine it. And you can't confiscate it. You can cross borders with billions of dollars of gold simply by memorizing a series of numbers and letters. You know, it is a, a really interesting, interesting asset. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki calls gold, of course, you know, Robert is a huge gold bug. He calls it God's money. And, uh, you know, that's fine. And he also calls Bitcoin the people's money. Now, that metaphor of it being the people's money is absolutely golden to me because this is created by the people, literally just created by the people and an anonymous coder who created this concept and left it to people to run with. Uh, that is the people's money. Now, I began talking about Bitcoin on Wealth Formula podcast three years ago. And some of you got it. that You really understood it back then and you took some significant action. And I have to tell you, I have multiple people who've emailed me now and said that because of those uh, initial introductions. They've made millions of dollars, you know, in cryptocurrency. So to you, I say you're welcome. And also, th you know, congratulations on having some foresight there. And uh, for those of you, on the other hand, who still don't understand the significance of Bitcoin and think, you know, I just don't get it. So it can't be real and it's going to go away. It's time to wake up. Bitcoin is here to stay and it will become increasingly mainstream over the next few years. I pretty much 
bet the farm on that. I guarantee you that's the case. And even if you don't have the appetite to buy Bitcoin now, you owe it to yourself to try and understand this phenomena uh, before it just passes you by. So this week's episode of Wealth Formula podcast is actually really critical for you to understand not only Bitcoin, but really what the future of money holds. And we're lucky to actually have the guest that we have today, Samson Mao. Samson uh, is recognized as one of the most influential Bitcoin visionaries in the world. And frankly, there's no one better to explain the past, present, and future of Bitcoin uh, than Samson. And we will talk with him right after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest is a very, very interesting fellow in the Bitcoin space and also in the gaming space. Uh, his name is Samson Mao. He is the CSO, which is the Chief Strategy Officer at Blockstream, which is a major uh, influencing company within the Bitcoin ecosystem, and also the CEO of Pixelmatic. And if that rings a bell, it's because Chris Wood was recently on the show talking about Infinite Fleet. And I know a number of you showed some interest in that game. Well, so Samson's a man of many talents. And uh, today, specifically wanted to talk to him about Bitcoin. So Samson, welcome back to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thanks, Buck. It's great to be finally on. Yeah, it's great. Um, you know, so I talked a little bit about your background. And obviously, you know, you've kind of got the reputation in this space of being a bit of a visionary on, on not only on the games, but in terms of, you know, Bitcoin and where Bitcoin is going to end up. And that's right. How did you end up when when did you first get started with Bitcoin? And what was the aha moment for you? Yeah, so I first, uh, I, I've been, I was reading about Bitcoin, you know, pretty much from 2011, 2012, 2013. Uh, but I guess the aha moment was reading about it uh, in 2013 mm -hmm. when I was uh, reading an article about mining. So someone was talking about how you could mine Bitcoin. So I've been hearing about Bitcoin. And I thought, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a virtual currency and it's used for dark markets and things like that. But when I read the mining article, that really flipped the switch on for me. So I kind of understood that this thing is not controlled by any one party. Anybody is free to become a miner, 
participate in the network and secure the network. So it was very different. Right. At the time, I was still at uh, I was still working on games. I was still just starting up Pixelmatic at the time, and before that, I was building online games with massive economies, and you know, it's at the scale where it's to deal with things like inflation in the game or whatnot. So, right. You know, like understanding like this is a economy in and of itself that's not under the control of a, a game company or a, a financial company or any issuer. That was the the kind of moment for me that I understood that this is something important and it's very, very different. So so let's let's dive in that a little bit because it, it also helps people understand perhaps might help people understand when you get the question, you know, what is what exactly is Bitcoin and, uh, you know, why is it valuable? And it seems to me that what you're saying is that it's all centered around the concept of mining. So maybe if we could just drill down on that a little bit and, you know, help people understand, you know, what the mining is and why that, you know, why that specific concept is important. Right. So my favorite uh, example for what Bitcoin is, is digital gold. I think it's a concept that uh, resonates with most people. They understand what gold is. They understand that gold is valuable. And it's easier to make that jump to Bitcoin thinking of it that way. And in fact, like there is a parallel with the mining, right? You mine Mm -hmm. gold and you mine Bitcoin. So it's it's a very direct and smooth uh, relationship conceptually. But Bitcoin is very different from gold. So if you imagine gold and it was reinvented digitally, then that's Bitcoin. So you have something that is valuable, that is scarce, even more scarce than than gold, actually, that is now transferable over the Internet. And in fact, you don't even need the Internet anymore. You can transfer this uh, through radio waves, you can also get it over satellite transmissions too. So Blockstream, we have a, a satellite service broadcasting the Bitcoin blockchain. So Buck, as you're sitting there, Bitcoin blocks are being beamed all around you. You just mm. point a dish up and you you got them. Wow. So it, it's an entirely new medium for value transfer. And this is the key thing here that you you can disintermediate the entire financial system by having this new base level asset, which you can build up a number of things on top of. You can have security tokens, like Chris has been on your show talking about the EXO security token. You can have those. You can have uh, digital assets. You could have tokenized ships, like in Infinite Fleet. A number of things can be built on top of this new digital gold foundation. Got it. And so, in that regard, um, and and I love and I love that analogy. I think in in many regards, it it's really helpful, especially when you look at mining and the, there's effort, there is money that needs to go into the mining in order to produce a um, you know this asset that's called Bitcoin. Uh, so I think in in many ways that's like the easiest way to describe it for people who are just starting. You called it. You know, uh, uh, along that lines, you you mentioned Bitcoin uh, is parallel to gold, and we think of gold as a store of value, right? Mm-hmm. So, in your view, is Bitcoin a store of value, or is it a currency, or what? What's the best way to think about that? Yeah. So you, you also asked like, what makes something valuable, right? right? And there is this concept of intrinsic value, which some people like to toss out there, but there's really <laughs> 
no intrinsic yeah. value. Yeah. Value is very subjective and it's different for different people, for different things across a wide spectrum. So I think that concept has to go out the window. It's been a very traditional anchor in a lot of uh, like economic theory and whatnot, but there is no intrinsic value. So Bitcoin yeah. is valuable because we say it's valuable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just like why is gold valuable? Because people say gold is valuable and there is a market for this and there is a market for Bitcoin. So back to your, your question, I think Bitcoin is a store of value primarily right now, but it is evolving on three axes. So if you look at money, uh, there's three aspects to money. There is the store of value component, the medium of exchange and the unit of account. So if it is a good money, it has all three of these things. Now, Bitcoin is very young. It's just 12 years old. You know, it's just a a baby in the grand scheme of things. Um, It's not been around as long as gold and most fiat currencies, but it is evolving very rapidly. And if you think about what is happening, the, the first step is that store value. It needs to be valuable first. So what some people... Uh, have this some people have this misconception that you can create a currency and you can make that medium of exchange first but you can use anything as a medium of exchange you can say you know um toilet paper (laughs) is a medium of exchange but it's not valuable it can be easily printed and you know you can always use it but it's not going to be very good because it is not valuable so traditionally you have to go step by step you have to go store value medium of exchange unit of account once enough people are using it as that medium of exchange, it becomes the unit of account like the U.S. dollar does, right? Everything is priced in dollars. Even though I'm Canadian, typically when I think about Bitcoin price, it's, you know, it's not Canadian dollar price. It's the U.S. dollar price, right? Right. But Bitcoin is very unique because it is digital and because it is programmable. It can evolve on all three of these axes at the same time. So as it's becoming that sort of value, as the micro strategies are, are pile, stockpiling it, the square, the public market companies are buying it up, it is also a medium of exchange because you can use second layer technologies like the liquid network, like the lightning network to transact very quickly. And you have that unit of account as well. So the unit of account for the Lightning Network, so in case your viewers don't know, the Lightning Network is a layer two technology where you transact Bitcoin essentially for free and instantaneously. It's kind of like um, a way to spend Bitcoin um, as cash. But uh, that unit of account for that network is the, the Satoshi, the SAT. So when people do lightning transactions, they can tip people or they, um, you can use it in chat apps too now to pay for sending messages. You're paying in Satoshis, the smallest denomination of Bitcoin. So it is evolving in all three ways, in ways that things like gold could not do because gold is not programmable. So the interesting parallel there, kind of what, you know, just trying to, again, you know, make this uh, something that people understand is, you know, before... Uh, before Nixon took the uh, U.S. dollar off uh, the gold standard, you know, dollars were uh, understood to have a value that was based on the value of gold. Mm-hmm. And so in some regards, kind of what you're doing with, you know, what you just described with the Lightning Network, which is what what we were doing with dollars uh, when, when they were uh, directly correlated to the price of gold. Is that fair? 
Yeah, you can make that yeah. analogy. So, you know, Bitcoin is that underlying digital gold. Right. And layer two tech like Lightning and Liquid is pegged to that one to one. And you transact it off chain. So you don't need to stuff every single transaction into the Bitcoin blockchain. If I'm just, you know, buying a coffee, then I don't need that permanently embedded in the blockchain for thousands of years. You know, it's yeah. not that important. One of the points that you brought up that I think is really important to point out is that one of the main things that makes this different, because some people may say, well, what, why not just go back to a gold standard? Well, uh, I guess the, the, the key point there is that Nixon took us off the gold standard. And in this situation, there's not a government or a, you know, uh, one sort of central uh, force that can just change the way Bitcoin works. And that is a fundamentally different concept uh, in, 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 I guess, in, in global history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's difficult to go back to a gold standard. You know, right. when when governments and central banks are used to that power, the mm-hmm. ability to control through the issuance and management and manipulation, maybe of fiat currency, how do you give that up? It's right. just like you know, you're you're God now. Now yeah. let's uh, demote you. You're not God yeah. anymore. Yeah. You're just a player. You're just a normal guy. Like that's very difficult to take away power. And, you know, it, it takes a, a seismic change or revolution to, to shift this. And Bitcoin in some ways is that revolution. It's a, uh, a bloodless coup. It's just people taking back control. It's a money that is created by the people for the people and operated by the people. There's just no one in charge of it. And this is actually a far better system. In a way, it's much more elemental, just like gold. Mm-hmm. We can't make gold. We can't fuse gold atoms. We are not at that level of technology yet. So Bitcoin is the same way. It's a consensus-driven. Everyone runs a node, and it's enforced by the miners organizing transactions. So it's this holistic system that is unchangeable. And we've had people try to change it in the past, which resulted in you know, the, the fork wars or the scaling wars or mm-hmm. Bitcoin civil war, however you want to call it. Mm-hmm. You know? But that ended very poorly for people trying to change the protocol. Yeah. So you know, it, it is far better in all aspects of its design, which is basically giving power back to normal people. So taking the financial system out of the hands of central governments would explain the attempts on the part of governments to either actively, you know, suppress Bitcoin uh, ownership. I guess, you know, I guess India would have been one of the places where there was mm-hmm. some of that. And and then even, you know, recently Janet Yellen's negativity on this front. Is there something else to it other than, you know, just the, the fear of, you know, governments losing control? Uh, it's difficult to say, you know, I can't really say what their real motivations are. You mm-hmm. just have to look at the, uh, the high level picture, you know, right. uh, is what, is what they're doing good for the average person. If, uh, major institutions are buying Bitcoin, if Elon Musk, the richest man on earth is buying Bitcoin through his company, yeah. um, if uh, massive multi-billion dollar funds like Ruffer, Guggenheim, uh, you know, they're all buying Bitcoin. Right. Isn't it good for the normal person to buy Bitcoin? I would say yes. You know, you're impoverishing your nation if you're denying them access to this. You know, the, the whole point is 
Bitcoin should democratize money. It should make it so it's not controlled by any one party. So if you're the democratically elected leader of the people, you should be looking after their best interests. And you don't even need to understand Bitcoin here. You just look at what other people are doing. Successful people, successful institutions, successful companies. What are they doing? Let your people do that too. And I understand that there's a concept of protecting people, but you know, there is a point at which you're protecting them too much by denying access. You right. know, the the same thing with the accredited investor regulations. You know, that right. it doesn't make sense to me that you can have people gambling away on lottery tickets, but they can't invest in early stage companies. Yeah. It's just there's a huge disconnect there and it makes me question the whole underlying system. Right. Now, going back to the concept of of Bitcoin being either, you know, storage of value and maybe second layer currency, you know, a lot of skeptics, you know, guys like Peter Schiff, et cetera, out there, you know, they have lots of problems with Bitcoin. And one of them it really relates to volatility and the, them saying, you know, how can this be a currency or storage of value if, you know, if, if it's so volatile? Now, obviously, you know, Bitcoin has a $1 trillion uh, uh, market cap now, and presumably, if that becomes ten trillion, it's not as volatile. Is that really just you know? Is it really come down to to that kind of simple scaling, uh, or is there you know where? Why are they wrong? Well, Bitcoin is volatile. It has mm-hmm. its ups and downs, and it is volatile if you want to use it as a unit of account right. where you are pricing something in Bitcoin. You know, if I'm a shopkeeper and I want to sell a hat and I want to price that hat in Bitcoin, it doesn't work because there's just too much volatility. We're not at the stage where you can price something in Bitcoin and it makes sense. You can do it, of course, but it doesn't make sense. Um, until we reach the point of hyper-Bitcoinization where everything is now priced in Bitcoin and Bitcoin is at hundreds of trillions in market cap. So we're right. still very young. It's still very early. People forget that Bitcoin is only, you know, 10 plus years old. They think right. it's existed for much longer. The The speed of technological development sometimes accelerates or distorts our perception of timelines, you know, like Bitcoin is very young. It's gone from zero to what, what's the price now? 50K, 49K? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. It, it, in the span of a handful of years, gold has had hundreds, if not thousands of years to a thousand years to evolve into what it is now, which is a very stable store of value. Um, it, it's, it's very stable, but Bitcoin is still growing. It's still finding its price point. And Bitcoin is like a black hole. It's sucking up all this monetary value and all these use cases that now have a better option. So if you listen to Michael Saylor talking about it, he, he, he's basically saying holding cash is like having an ice cube that's melting. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just losing value. And he estimated the value to be like 15, 10 to 15% a year. So much worse than inflation because there's mm-hmm. hidden inflation. And Bitcoin just serves that case, use case better. How to store your cash? put it in Bitcoin. It stops melting. So but, so along that point, Samson, maybe you can point that, explain that concept because Bitcoin is a, is, is a you know, um, ultimately is a more of a deflationary asset. So, mm-hmm. so why is that? Well, the thing is we've never, okay, so Bitcoin is deflationary. Let's talk about that first. So there is a hard cap. There will only ever be a maximum of 21 million Bitcoin 
that come into existence. And this Bitcoin is mined gradually. So it, it's going to take 100 plus years to get to the tail end of that. We're still, uh, we're, we're having every year. So every four years, the supply of Bitcoin mined per Bitcoin block is halved. So now we're at the third halving. So it, it's just every four years, the supply dwindles more and more. And what happens is that causes this deflation because the supply is decreasing. And we've never had this effect happen before. Um, there's never been a system that has existed where the supply is decreasing and nobody can change that. So for fiat currencies, the supply is always increasing. You can have stimulus bills that pump trillions into the economy. Um, dollars can be printed out of thin air. And even gold, even though it's mined, you can always find more gold. So I, I think in Africa, in, in a country, they found a, a deposit of gold in the mountain and people were just grabbing shovels sure. and bags, scooping it up to, yeah. to get it. Yeah. So actually, actually, one step further, if you go into space, you can mine gold from asteroids. And there is one asteroid called the uh, Psyche that is mostly gold. Mm. So it's not that scarce. If you look at the bigger picture, Gold is only scarce in our gravity well on Earth. <laughs> if you leave this gravity well, it's quite abundant. And Bitcoin is actually infinitely more infinitely more scarce than gold. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Let's talk about, you know, your vision of Bitcoin. I mean, obviously you mentioned hyper Bitcoinization, etc. You know, I guess the question is from my end, you know, how quickly do you see that happening? You know, and, and what kind of challenges will Bitcoin have along the way? Yeah, so I would say my view is that Bitcoin is going to be the basis of a new financial system. So you had the gold standard, you had a fiat uh, originally pegged to gold, and then you have this the, the stock market and uh, bond market and everything based on top of that. So Bitcoin will just replace gold. And then you'll have you know, layer two scaling tech for spending Bitcoin as cash. But you also have this new asset class of tokenized securities, which I believe are a massive leap forward compared to what we have currently. And those are things like mm. the security tokens that we've talked about on your show before. Mm -hmm. These are, they're still securities, but they're in tokenized form. And they're issued, like the ones that we're talking about are issued on the liquid network, a Bitcoin sidechain. So they're directly compatible with Bitcoin. If you get a dividend, um, in, in a, a liquid security, that dividend can be paid out using a Bitcoin transaction to all the holders of that asset. And you can do atomic swaps between that security token and Bitcoin. So in case your users, your watchers don't know, uh, an atomic swap is just a type of transaction where it has to happen atomically, which means both sides sign off on the tra transaction and then it executes simultaneously. So there's no uh, counterparty risk. It's not that I send you buck one one Bitcoin and then you send me back a hundred EXO tokens. That transaction just happens all at once or does not happen. And that opens up a large new frontier for us. Um, if you think of the current financial system as being broken, uh, having a Bitcoin-based financial system fixes a lot of things. Like the whole stock brokerage system is broken, right? You have uh, brokerages that use clearinghouses to settle at the DTCC. And then you have the issue where you can have halts in trading if they're not collateralized enough. Um, settlement is fundamentally broken. And, you know, 
I don't think a lot of people understand this, but settlement with Bitcoin is actually uh, several orders of magnitude, if not uh, infinitely better than the current system of settlement. Like it, it's difficult to even get to T plus one settlement. Mm-hmm. I don't even think we're there yet. Yeah. You know, but Bitcoin is like a few blocks, like an hour maybe for settlement. And it could be considered slow if you're thinking about buying a coffee, but you can use lightning for that. But if you, you can settle billions in Bitcoin in an hour, that's pretty big. That's, right. that's huge, right? right? And you can settle for securities instantly or atomically using atomic swaps right. on the liquid chain. It also, the, applying the Bitcoin technology to securities is kind of what we're trying to accomplish on liquid. And it solves another problem, or actually two more problems. One is the problem where you have uh, uh, brokerages lending out shares, which they shouldn't do, but they bury that in the terms of service. So when you click OK because you didn't read 50 pages of the toss, you'll say, you know, we can lend your shares out to someone else. If you have a tokenized security and you have it custodially in your own possession, in your own wallet. Nobody can lend that out mm-hmm. and nobody can stop you from trading. So like the EXO token, it is tradable peer to peer amongst the whitelist of investors. Uh, and eventually once it's you know approved for reggae, then anybody can trade it freely, but nobody can lend out your, your EXO tokens against your will because you can have them in your own wallet. Nobody can uh, see your transactions too in the liquid network. So. Liquid is a Bitcoin sidechain, but with um, assets. So if you think of um, Bitcoin as having only one asset type, the the Liquid chain actually gives you multiple asset types. And one of those could be a security token. And all these assets are confidential. So it's all encrypted. If I send you an EXO token, we, we see that transaction. But to anyone else looking at the block explorer, looking at that blockchain, they just see there's a transaction. They don't know what was sent and how much was sent. So you have this ability to prevent front running because along the trail, when you're trading a stock, you have people that see the trade and aggregate that data. I mean, Robinhood's whole thing is they're selling that trade data to someone else like Melvin Capital, right? right so right. They, they can trade against you. But if you're trading a security token on the liquid network, nobody else can see what you did. If I sent you an EXO token, nobody can front run because nobody knows what we did. So there's a lot of benefits to this new Bitcoin-based financial system. And we're only at the tip of the iceberg. We're just starting right now. So it seems to me, though, that one of the biggest challenges, I mean, everything you're talking about, obviously, once you understand it, makes a lot of sense where you know, a consumer may want to switch to this model because in many ways they're being victimized by the current model. But, you know, I I would think that one of the biggest challenges is, you know, breaking through. I mean, you're basically trying to almost sort of take down the current financial system. And that's got a lot of powerful, you know, people and money behind it, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. do do you see that as presumably the biggest challenge for Bitcoin in the next 20 years? I think uh, the biggest challenge for Bitcoin is just educating normal people about what it is. I think it's difficult for people to really understand it. Uh, most people come in because they see the number go up and yeah. they're attracted to that. And then some will stay and learn more about the technology and why it's important, how it is different than just, say, buying a stock. 
uh, and some will get sucked into uh, altcoins or, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. the scammier things. But mm-hmm. I think the biggest challenge for Bitcoin is just educating people about what it is, why it's important, and how to store mm-hmm. it properly. Uh, it's easy to keep your money with someone else, and people get a sense of safety and security. But I think there's also a big downside to that in that you lose control. And we just have to get people back into the thinking that it is normal to have custody of my own assets, whether it is Bitcoin, whether it is a security or whatever, you know, you want that in your own safe outsourcing that safety and protection to a third party just means you're at their whim. You're at Mm -hmm. their mercy. If they want you to stop trading, you're stopping trading. And that is a big challenge. Um, your other point was, you know, will the big players stop this? I think they might want to, but the odds are in the favor of Bitcoin and the new financial system because it is incredibly better. You know, if you're doing product development and I've done products for well, a long time, if you want to really disrupt a market, you need to come up with something that is at least 10 times better. And Bitcoin is far more than 10 times better than the current system. Mm-hmm. And I think security tokens are far, at least 10 times better than what we have right now in terms of efficiency and transparency and privacy. They just can't do it. So in the case of Bitcoin, you know, all of those big players and the banks came out very strongly against it at first, but now they're capitulating. Yeah. And, the, and that's Morgan. almost the ironic part about it, right? So now you're seeing actually a lot of institutional money coming around uh, and infrastructure being built such that, you know, it, that the quote unquote smart money uh, knows, they know that Bitcoin is here to stay uh, in some capacity. But in that regard, you know, you've got uh, the irony there is that you've got, you know, custody for Bitcoin becoming commercial custody. Uh, you know, not everybody's keeping their stuff on a ledger, right? Um, can you talk about sort of that transition uh, of, you know, first of all, I guess the institutional money, Wall Street kind of coming into this space, uh, which they are, and maybe you can t- allude to that. And then, you know, there's going to be some attempts on their side to sort of turn it into, you know, just another product. So, I think there's always going to be a marketplace for custody solutions for mm-hmm. people that are not technical, but you have, um, you know, people coming up in, in the world that are familiar with technology. And I don't think it's difficult to have custody as long as you learn how to do it safely. There is a learning curve, but it's not insurmountable. And if you look at the younger generation, you know, they're quite savvy. Like even like my generation growing up playing games, you know, we, we're okay with digital assets. We're okay with trading digital things. It's not a big hurdle to overcome. Now you might have people like Peter Schiff that are older that can't adapt to this new mental model or a new way of doing things. And they might use custodial services mm-hmm. and that's okay. You know, they can, they can let someone else hold their money or hold their gold for them. But for the younger generation, I believe there's a mistrust of of the yeah. the big players that, or, or the system. And GameStop and Robinhood didn't do much to make that any better. Sure. So that's just going to drive people in the direction of having their own assets and not giving away their control. Um, the big institutions 
are coming because they have customers themselves. Yep. So they can't just say, you know, Bitcoin's a scam and Bitcoin is just delivering every year. It's just plowing ahead. It's gaining value, gaining more and more adoption. If they don't take an allocation, it's almost like they're in breach of a fiduciary duty yeah. to their shareholders or their LPs or whatever, because, you know, they're just missing it. And all the evidence just stacks up and shows them that any thesis staying Bitcoin is a scam or Bitcoin is worthless is wrong. I mean, some people are so ingrained and entrenched in that line of thinking. That is all they can say. But they're leaving a record. You can go on, on Twitter or social media or news sites and you can Google these guys. Some of them have been saying, you know, dump Bitcoin. It's a scam since it was like $10 or $100. <laughs> yeah. And you just yeah. have to look at that and go like, wow, like this guy's still saying that. Yeah. That's just crazy. Uh, some of them, like I, I am convinced Peter Schiff owns Bitcoin. I'm, I don't believe he doesn't own Bitcoin. And it, well, it doesn't matter. Yeah, the but... important thing is his son owns Bitcoin <laughs> right. and his son is a big Bitcoiner. So, <laughs> That's funny. you know, it, it, it's the trend. It's the way the right. world is going. And it's the younger generation that is going to make it mainstream. One of the things that happens, though, is there's sort of a, a feed forward um, momentum. When you, if you've got institutional money, you've got you know uh, endowments uh, that you know maybe they're not going to buy a lot, but maybe they have do you know maybe they do you know fifty basis points of the, the thing in, in Bitcoin or something like that. In when you have a finite amount of Bitcoin, that kind of uh, you know gradual adoption into funds, large funds and pensions, uh, creates an enormous amount of money in terms of market capitalization, right? <laughs> and so, if you look at that kind of feed forward thing, it's hard for me to imagine. And, and you know, I'm not a um, you know I'm not I'm not a Bitcoin expert. I just I generally understand the thesis enough to think this is something where I need to be uh, involved with. But it's hard for me to imagine that this isn't at $250,000 in the next four or five years. I mean, do you? how do you see that? And, and I know you're not in the business of speculation, but that, that to me seems, uh, you know, kind of a no-brainer at this point. Well, my, my own call is that we'll hit 100K this year. Yeah. And I said that mm -hmm. last year when it was, a, you know, 15, 20K ish mm -hmm. range. Mm -hmm. All signs point to a massive increase in Bitcoin's dollar value. And, you know, is it just Bitcoin's value that's going up or is it the fiat system making it go higher because mm -hmm. more dollars are being printed? You know, I, I had a, I remember reading some guy saying, um, at the time of Brexit, he was looking at his Bitcoin uh, price on his app. And he said, like, I'm not sure if uh, Bitcoin went up or the pound is going down. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like, all that matters, like, the price of Bitcoin is not that important. Mm -hmm. All that matters is you understand that the future financial system is based on Bitcoin. And eventually everything will be priced in Bitcoin. If not your kid's generation, then it's their kid's generation. But knowing that inevitability... You have to choose now in the present what allocation you make. And it seems to me, you know, even if you have no idea, even if you don't believe in it, a 10% allocation would be prudent. And a 10% allocation is in line with these multi-billion dollar funds allocating their capital. Right. So that's not financial advice. That's just 
my analysis yeah. Yeah, of the no, I situation. It. I get it. You know? But if you can afford to invest in something, you might as well put something in Bitcoin yeah. because it's not likely to go to zero, but it is, there's a chance it could go to infinity. <laughs> right, right. Where you're just talking about Satoshis at that point, you're not talking about, you know, full Bitcoins uh, anymore. Um, yeah. Well, listen, um, the other, the, I guess the last question I have here on this matter from a technical, goes, it, it again, goes to some of the, um, you know, the, the Peter Schiff's of the world who really, you know, f- try to find holes in this thesis, which is that, you know, listen, you're a Bitcoin maximalist. And so one of the, one of the thoughts um, is, well, you know, obviously, you know, most people who are Bitcoin maximalists think of pretty much any other cryptocurrency um, you know, is a scam of some sort. And, and I, if I'm not saying that correctly about you, correct me, but I, I, I assume that that's kind of where you're at. But let's just say for a second, if we're talking about long term, how do we know or, you know, what do you say to people who say, well, there could just be a, a better technology than Bitcoin that comes along that is, you know, quicker and, you know, uh, easier and you know why does it have to be Bitcoin? Yeah, so there's a lot of projects out there. I, I mean, there's like thousands of cryptocurrencies, and mm-hmm. a lot of them market themselves as better than Bitcoin or mm-hmm. better at at something than Bitcoin. And a lot of those cryptocurrencies are not not decentralized. Just because their marketing materials say, you know, we are a decentralized network. I mean. You know, you're, you, you have a network of investors, you know, no mm-hmm. one just reads the marketing speak sure. and just takes it as fa- at face value. But in the world, a lot of people just take that at face value. I was on a, a panel with some academics and they were talking about Ethereum. They're saying, yeah, well, you know, it could never be shut down because it's decentralized. And they're just repeating that marketing message. But Ethereum is not decentralized. Mm-hmm. A lot of these cryptocurrencies are more like companies and sure. securities sure. than they are cryptocurrencies. I think to be considered a cryptocurrency, it needs to be mined at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has to be a bar. You can't just press a button and print a token, which is what Ripple did. And now the SEC is coming down on them because you know, they're pressing a button, printing this crypto and selling it. And that's a security, even though they say we're decentralized. No one buys that at the end. But um, one, you should be mined. And two, like there should be uh, no no organization that is clearly in control of that cryptocurrency. And there's very few that would meet this criteria. And if the criteria is it needs to be mined, like permissionless participation in the system, then you have to look at how much security is there behind this thing. And if that cryptocurrency is not dominant in its hash rate, then it's very likely it could be attacked and Mm -hmm. then it's not secure. So even if it's decentralized, it doesn't matter because someone could just 51% attack and overwrite the whole chain. And if you look at the news, you actually see this happening. But, you know, yeah. a lot of I privacy lot of people coins, don't right? look at that. Yeah, a lot of the privacy ones yeah. specifically. Well, it, yeah. there are privacy coins too, but then you have the issue of the launch. Uh-huh. So Bitcoin had what I like to call a virgin birth. Like it was Satoshi creating it socializing on the cypherpunks mailing list and there's no VC capital investment. People started working on it, building it, Mm -hmm. mining it and trading it and it gained value organically. So there have been other cryptocurrencies out there that have tried to um, launch fairly 
and they, they were focused on privacy. But in the end, what happened was VCs started investing in them and investing in mining. And it just artificially skews the whole thing. It's difficult, if not impossible, to have a fair launch these days just because everyone is now aware and people are going to try to get in on that launch and yeah. make some money off of it. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting stuff, man. Uh, this is uh, this has been great. Tell us what you're doing over at Blockstream these days. What's the what's the latest uh, initiative? Uh, we have a lot of initiatives. So, in case um, your listeners don't know, Blockstream is a Bitcoin infrastructure company. Uh, we work on the Bitcoin protocol, the Lightning protocol. Uh, we have Blockstream AMP, which is a platform to issue security tokens on the Liquid network. Uh, we are also the tech provider for the Liquid network, which is a Bitcoin sidechain. It's essentially a blockchain anchored to Bitcoin. It has no native currency in it. So the native currency of Liquid is just pegged in Bitcoin, Bitcoin that's locked up. Uh, we also are one of the largest miners in North America. Um, we have uh, facilities in Quebec and Georgia in the USA. And we have Blockstream Satellite, which is a service broadcasting Bitcoin blocks through space. Uh, but yeah, we're busy doing a lot of things. There's always something going on at Blockstream. Good stuff, man. Thanks again. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, um, hopefully we can get you on again in a year as, as this continues to develop and, and becomes more and more uh, what everybody's uh, doesn't think it's going to be. has <laughs> been <laughs> doubting it from the beginning. So, uh, yeah, Samson Mao, everyone. Thanks again, Samson. We'll be right back. Thanks, Buck. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I, I really think this is an absolutely fascinating topic, and you can tell how interested I am and bullish I am on this whole Bitcoin uh, space. You know, I am definitely long Bitcoin, right? And of course, you know, I didn't, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about alternative asset, uh, alternative crypto coins, uh, the so-called altcoins in this space. Uh, in this podcast, and and in part, it's because Samson fits into you know what we would call the Bitcoin maximalist in this in this space. He doesn't really believe in the other cryptocurrencies, and so I just want to give you my take on that. So I think you know I'm I'm with Samson on this. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit more reserved in my projections, but I do think Bitcoin is here to stay. That it's going to play an increasing role in society uh, going forward. So that is, uh, to me, that's a separate issue entirely from what the alternative cryptocurrency markets are all about. And when we say alternatives or altcoins, we're really talking about anything but Bitcoin. So we're talking about, you know, we're talking about Ethereum and XRP and uh, EOS and all of these uh, other things that have come into play. Now, my take on the alts is, is a little bit, I think, pragmatic, right? To me, uh, you know, for many people, Bitcoin is a religion and for you to, you know, play with anything outside of Bitcoin is anathema. And I don't see it that way. I see the altcoins and particular projects as really opportunistic. You know, a lot of these altcoins and these projects are really not intended to be currency. They ended up they end up sort of having this you know, currency element because the values go up as market capitalization goes up. 
but they really have a practical purpose. If you take, for example, you know, Ethereum, Ethereum was really not designed to be the way Bitcoin is. Bitcoin ultimately was uh, designed for the purpose of, uh, you know, value storage. It's almost, you know, an exchange method, an accounting method, whatever you want to call it. That's what Bitcoin was about. Ethereum and a lot of the other altcoins are really not designed for that purpose. They're designed uh, actually more for technology. The idea of using uh, and building uh, technology that's decentralized on those platforms, you know, on those blockchains. So in that regard, I see those kinds of cryptocurrencies, most of them probably will fail, just as many startups, most startups in the tech space fail, regardless of what their value is today. Uh, I do think that some of them will be probably here to stay, the things that have serious practical value to them. I've told you before um, that I am a big fan of, you know, a cryptocurrency called uh, HBAR, or it's the token that's native to Hedera Hashcraft. And I like it uh, not because I'm thinking that it's the quote-unquote Bitcoin killer. That's not the purpose of that whole project. For me, that project is interesting because it provides means um, you know, for enterprise solutions for a lot of technology that I think is very efficient. And so I like that project. Uh, do I think of it in the same vein as Bitcoin? No, I don't. I think of it as a startup that I'm investing in. You know, you'll see other stuff coming down the pipeline too. Keep an eye out for a project called Definity. That's D-F-I-N-I-T-Y, which I think is going to be really a big deal uh, for what it can help us do in the technology space as well. So um, so I see them as short-term speculative technology plays. Uh, and so I do invest uh, in them. And again, uh, it's <laughs> use the word invest loosely because really it's speculation. But I am long Bitcoin and short alts, right? Not short alt. I'm not short, meaning I'm not pessimistic. I'm not going to sell anything. Thing right this yet, but I'm looking for the else to make a quick buck. For Bitcoin, you know, I made my mistake last year. I had a lot of Bitcoin. I sold it thinking that it was going to be a while before, you know, crypto winter was over. And before you knew it, I got caught with my pants down and I only have, you know, a fraction of the Bitcoin that I used to have. So anyway, that's my story. Hope you enjoyed this. And if you want to figure out how you can start buying um, Bitcoin, you can also, you know, I had a series of podcasts on another podcast called Consensus Network. You can go check out some of those old ones. Um, they were prior to two, 2017. I kind of stopped doing that when everybody stopped listening in cryptocurrency, quite honestly. Uh, but if you go to the website for Consensus Network, I believe it's consensusnetwork.io. Um, check it out. Uh, there is a, a link for Coinbase where you can sign up for Coinbase, buy Bitcoin, and you will get 10, I think 10 or $20 of Bitcoin free in the process. So anyway, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'll see you next time. This is Buck Joffrey signing up. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not facts. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.
Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.